Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Imagine if you met a person that said to you, I am a die-hard NC State fan. But then imagine that you went on to discover that they have season tickets to the Dean Dome and eat lunch a lot at Ma Dips. You would say, dude, don't tell me you're an NC State fan. I've seen your life. How hard is it to spot a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, that might seem like a strange question, but have you ever known someone who claimed they were a Christian, but their lifestyle showed something else? Our lives as followers of Jesus shouldn't be hard to spot. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing our study in the book of Philippians in our series entitled Heartbeat. And as we continue to see, the Apostle Paul leaves no doubt that Jesus Christ was his heartbeat. Hey, you want to know how to do it? Follow me. Follow the example that I'm giving to you. Live your life the way I'm living my life. That's a a little bold of Paul to do that. Not really. Shouldn't that be the way all of our lives are if we're committed followers of Jesus Christ? Today, Pastor Clay is leading us through the last part of chapter 3, where we find two very distinct lifestyles described. One thing is clear in looking at this passage today, it shouldn't be hard to spot a believer. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. Imagine if you met a person that said to you, I am a die-hard NC State fan. I am Wolfpack through and through. But then imagine that every time you saw them after that time, they had on light blue shirts. With... with statements, with statements like Roy Williams for president or Tar Heel Nation. Imagine that you went on to discover that they have season tickets to the Dean Dome and they spend Halloween on Franklin Street and eat lunch a lot at Ma Dips. When you got a chance to talk to that person, you would say, Dude, don't tell me you're an NC State fan. I've seen your life, and I know differently. Or, imagine that you are attending one of those super cool sci-fi conventions. And you run into a guy who says, I'm a Trekkie through and through. But then the rest of the week when you see him, he's wearing a stormtrooper outfit. He's hanging around with a couple of guys dressed like a Wookiee and Darth Vader, carrying a lightsaber, and you overhear them saying something about the Force being with them. When you had a chance to talk to that person, you would say, live long and prosper. (laughs) But after that, you would say, dude, don't tell me you're a Trekkie fan. I've seen your life. And I see something different. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15 this morning. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. 
And if in anything else you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us not let, or, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained, brethren. Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Father, thanks again. I really mean it. It is a privilege for me to be here. I hope every person in this room feels the same way. It is a privilege to gather in Your name. It is a privilege to gather with with other people. Some in this room may not be believers yet. They may just be seeking out this, this uh, God thing, this Jesus thing. Many in here would already uh, be believers. But, Father, it's a privilege to gather here together. And I'm grateful that no matter what happens or what goes on, your word has the power to speak into our hearts and lives. And so, again, today I ask that you would do just that. You would continue to work on me. Lord God, I'm such a work. I need such work in my life. And so I pray that you continue to do that. As we walk through this letter to the church in Philippi, I pray that it would be profitable for the people who are gathered here today. I am very mindful. I often want to remember that there's lots of other things that these people could do today, but they have chosen to come here. They've chosen to worship you and to hear your word. And so, thank you that your word will not return void. And if our hearts and minds and ears are open and receptive to what you say to hear, whether it's a first-time guest or a person who's been a part of cross-culture since the very beginning, your word will have its effect in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians three fifteen to the end of the chapter, verse 21. As there often is here, there's a BP squared. There's a big picture biblical principle, and it looks like this. It shouldn't be hard to spot a believer. Paul opens up in verse 15, the first part of verse 15, and he says, Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. Uh, just to remind you, I've said it several times as we've walked through, uh, especially the third chapter of Philippians, but just to remind you, the word perfect uh, does not mean sinless. The word perfect means uh, mature. It means uh, developed. Uh, it, it means um, complete in the sense of uh, having attained some maturity in this thing. It does not mean sinless. Because the Apostle Paul in, the, in this letter and all the rest of the Bible for that matter make it very clear that uh, this side of heaven, none of us will ever arrive. Meaning none of us will ever reach a point of sinless perfection. We are all works in progress. So, not sinless perfection. But what Paul is saying is, is that, but if you, if you have been walking in this thing, if you've been walking in Christ for a while, then there should begin to be a some sense of maturity in your life, spiritually speaking. 
and we talk about that a lot around here, that, that as I grow in Christ, as I, the longer I'm in relationship with him, the more I, that relationship should be developed, the more mature I should become as a follower of Jesus. It, 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 it should just, that should just happen. And Paul says, as that happens, as you mature, all of us should have this same attitude. So the natural question would be, what attitude? The attitude that he just told us about, and we looked at extensively last week, but the attitude, and specifically in context, that he gave us in chapters 12 uh, in, through 14, which say this, and I'll read it from the New Living. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved. And Paul says, this is the attitude we need to have. as a follower of Christ. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Christ saved me so that I could have this relationship with him, and so I'm pressing on toward the maturity of that relationship and the, and the fullness of that relationship and what it will be someday. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. There's your attitude. Paul says, there's the attitude that you need to have. And again, I've said it before, but just to remind you, or if you're here for the very first time, that idea of press on carries this idea of pursuing or chasing or straining toward this thing, this mark, this high call in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on. I'm, I'm chasing this. I'm pursuing this thing. I'm straining this thing. We talked a lot about that last week. The preposition um, in that verse there, I think the New American Standard translates it towards. Uh, it, it, it carries the idea of down. It, it's like a runner uh, it's like a runner bearing down on the finish line. And that's a great analogy, uh, by the way. This whole race thing. Because one of the pri- primary, one of the most important rules for a runner is, some of you that are runners probably know this, don't look back. Don't, don't look back. Don't, don't worry about anybody or anything that's behind you. Because looking back will only slow you down. Bear down on that finish line. Move towards that finish line. Focus on that finish line because that's what really matters. That's the attitude that we ought to have. Kind of brings it all together right there. And then, we don't, I'll just be honest with you. We don't have a lot of time to spend on this this morning. But I felt like I needed to touch on it just briefly. Then, he throws in this little tidbit at the end of verse 15. Where he says, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Uh, I agree with the Bible commentator James uh, Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, who says that Paul, in, in this verse, in this letter to the Philippians, is reminding them that if, if this is your attitude, what, what he just described, if this is your heartbeat, if you're pressing toward Christ and you're pressing toward the mark and, and that that's, that's, what, that's what your goal is, that's what you and you're focused on that, if that's your heartbeat, if that's where you're going, then, then uh, Boyce says that Paul's saying you can have every expectation, listen to me, every expectation that God will guide you in your direction, that God will direct your path, that God will give you wisdom into the decisions that you need to make in your life. As a matter of fact, Boyce goes on to say, I believe that this verse can be rightly applied 
to every, every aspect of our lives. For all of life bears on God's calling. Now, I believe that statement. I, I really do. There might be some disagreement about that among some folks, but I, I really believe in that statement. And, and if you begin to think of it in that sense, all of life bears on God's calling on my life, then it will really begin to have an effect, I believe, on how I approach every area of my life. Now, we could get into, and I probably don't have time, but we could get into the whole thing, well, does every decision, is that, you know, does God care if I eat a Big Mac or a Whopper? Or, or does God care if I drank Coke Zero or diet, you know, I, I don't know. But we can certainly say that every aspect of our lives, the areas of our lives, I think Boyce is right, uh, they bear on God's calling on our life. And he further says this, that the basis of this assurance, the reason we know that we can trust that God will reveal his will to us and direct our path, the basis for this assurance lies in the nature of God. For it is God's nature to reveal himself and his purposes to us. Somebody ought to say, yay! Close. It is the very nature of God, ladies and gentlemen, to want you and me to get it. He wants us to understand this. He wants us to know his wisdom and his will for our lives. It's not like God is trying to keep this a secret. It's not like God is trying to keep you guessing on where you're supposed to go in your life or what you're supposed to accomplish in your life or what his purposes are for you. No, he wants you to know these things. But, and this is a big but, it requires this kind of heartbeat. If I want to know the wisdom and will of God for my life, I have to understand that it requires this kind of heartbeat. What kind of heartbeat? The kind of heartbeat that Paul has been displaying to us from Philippians 1, 1 and on. This kind of, of devotion and sold-out attitude toward the things of Christ, that it takes that approach in order for me to discern the wisdom and will of God. So, if I am having problems hearing God's wisdom or will or direction for my life, quite honestly, more than likely, it's not a hearing problem, it's a heart problem. If my heart begins to grow cold toward the things of God, is there anybody in here that can identify with that statement, or I am, am I the only one that goes rogue from time to time? If my heart begins to grow cold towards the things of God, if I, if I begin to become complacent or apathetic towards the things of God. Watch, listen to me now. What happens is I begin to lose focus. Spiritually speaking, I begin to lose focus on, on the spiritual, on, on the things of God. And the things of, of the world, the material world, and we'll talk more about, about this in a minute, but they begin to become the focus. And they begin to consume my time and my, my attitude and my, my thoughts and my wants and my approaches. Everything begins to become a, about the material world, and I begin to lose my focus on the spiritual world. So focus is critical. Would you say that with me? Focus is critical. All right, let's play a little game, a little fun uh, thing. Now, I'm just going to say to you, if you're in the back, this is probably not going to work for you. I, I tried it earlier, and, and when you're, the farther away you are, it doesn't really work. So you can try this when you get home. You can Google it, or you can all rush down to the front uh, and look like a mosh pit down here at the front if you want to. But um, let's bring up the first one, uh, Tyler, if we can. Can anybody see the, the purple dot with the green dot going around the purple dot? Can anybody see the purple dots? Y'all say that? All right, now, those of you up front especially, y'all should be able to do this. I want you to focus. Just focus right there on the cross. 
And as you begin to focus on that cross, what will begin to happen, should happen, is those purple dots will begin to disappear and only see the green one circling around. Anybody see it? Focus, focus. You see it? See, I'm not crazy, am I? <laughs> I'm going to put my cockroach on you. you. Yeah, you see it? I don't know if you can see it in the back or not. But the purple ones start, start disappearing. Focus on the cross. Whoa, whoa. That, that's, that's good. Somebody ought to be writing this down. Focus on the cross. The more you focus on the cross, the more the other stuff just starts to disappear. Somebody ought to write that down. If I didn't, somebody should. The more you focus on the cross, the more the other stuff starts. But it requires focus. All right, let, let's see the other one. We got another one. Let's see the other one. Okay, uh, everybody sees the glob, the glob of whatever? If you focus right there on that little black dot, all the glob should begin to disappear, especially those of you who are down front. You just focus on that little black dot, and, it, and the other stuff starts to disappear. You've got to be really close I don't think on this one. I tried it. Anybody see it? Anybody see the other glob stuff starting to disappear? Listen, all I'm saying is, is that there, there takes focus. In this, in this thing called following after Jesus, walking with him. And if we'll do that, then God begins to make those, you know, whatever. If you have different ideas, different, whatever, if you're not sure, God will make that known to you. But you and I have to focus on the kingdom. So, Paul reminds us, he says, here's the attitude you ought to have. ba 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 bam. Then, Paul goes on, and we'll try and cover this as quickly as we can this morning. And he goes on and he begins to delve into two different paths, really. Um, two different paths or life directions that people can take. And, and here's what it's going to look like this morning. That there is first a model to follow. And Paul basically lays out two models. He says there's a, a model to follow. The first one is the way. Committed. The way. Committed. Verse uh, 16 and 17 says this. However... Let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, brothers, brothers and sisters, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Somebody might say, well, isn't that kind of bold of Paul? Isn't that kind of bold or maybe even braggadocious of Paul to say, hey, you want to know how to do it? Follow me. Follow the example that I'm giving to you. Live your life the way I'm living my life. Somebody say, that's, a, that's, a little, that's a little bold of Paul to do that. Not really. If you think about it, shouldn't that be the way all of our lives are if we're committed followers of Jesus Christ? Shouldn't our life look in such a way that other people could look at us and say, there's something different about them? They're, they're, they're not, they seem to be, their approach to life, their, their joy, their commitment, their, their sacrifice, their, their service. There's something different about that. Isn't that what it ought to be? I don't think there's anything prideful about that. I think as a follower of Jesus, what my life ought to, ought to look like. What, what's the alternative? Hey, I really believe in that Jesus stuff, but I don't live my life like it, so don't follow my example. No, no. So he says there's this commitment, there's this way. As a matter of fact, I am of the belief that it is that, that, that change in life that God, I still believe God, this is the primary tool that God uses to attract people to him. Because they see you, 
and they say, wow, there's something different about your life, and they want to know what it is, or God uses it to draw people to him. So I don't think it's wrong to say, listen, I've been doing this Jesus thing maybe a little bit longer than you, you know, maybe I'm a little mature, I'm not any better than you, but, but here, here's how I do it. Here's, here's why my life looks so different. Some of you are probably familiar with the story of uh, Paul and Silas in the prison, coincidentally enough, in Philippi. Uh, let, me, let me read some of the story to you. It uh, takes place in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now this is one of those moment of truth times, isn't it? Right? This is one of those moments when crises or persecution or whatever it is comes into our life and we and we really able to figure out whether this whether I really believe what I say I believe or whether my faith is all just a bunch of smoke and mirrors and no substance to it. Verse 25 Around midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. I'll bet they were. I'll bet they were. Why? Because normal people don't act this way. Normal people don't get beaten half to death and then start singing about it. It's, it's not normal by the world's standards to have that type of reaction. Let's read on. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Man, that's, that's quite a coincidence, isn't it? That's, <laughs> the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because he's been ordered to keep them all safe and the penalty for him will be much worse than whatever those prisoners were going to go. So he just said, I'm just going to end this right now. He drew his sword to kill himself, but Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here. I'm thinking that came as quite a surprise to the prison guard. I've never been in prison, but I've, I've watched prison movies. And I, I'm pretty sure that it's unusual for prisoners to stay put when all the doors fly open and the chains come off. Can, can you imagine if the, all, every jail cell door at Wake County Jail or Durham County Jail suddenly flew open? Can you just imagine every prisoner just staying right there? And say, no, I'm good. Different. Different. Committed. Turns out uh, the other prisoners weren't the only ones listening, I don't think. Watch this. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out. And he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And by the way, Paul's not saying that if you get saved, everybody else automatically gets saved. That they just get to piggyback on on your faith. What he's saying is that if they believe in Jesus like you'll believe in Jesus, your family will get saved just like you can get saved. Now, I know the text says, and I know it's true, that he would, he'd been asleep and that he woke up. But obviously this guy had seen enough of Paul and Silas to recognize that there is something different about these guys. Because as soon as he discovers that they are still there, he rushes in. And he says, basically, how do I get what you've got? 
See, that's, I believe, what a committed life will do. That it causes you to stand out. It causes you to, to appear in such a way that people say, I, I don't, there's something I don't know. There's something different about that. Paul says, follow that model. That's, what, that's the model we're, we're following. Come on. Join me in getting the snot beat out of you with rods. Probably not many takers, which it's a great model. Clearly the model Paul thinks we should follow. It's clearly the model that God wants us to have. But Paul gives us another model. The way is committed. The world is carnal. Okay, there's your two models. Verse 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I often uh, told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. Man, I wish he hadn't put that last sentence in there. Because I know how easy it is for me to set my mind on earthly things. Paul says, here's the way. It's a life of commitment. It's a life of self-sacrifice. It's a life of service. But there's another model, and that's the world. It's carnal. It's flesh. Notice first that Paul says, many, many walk. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, if, if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus or you are contemplating becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you just need to understand that in this world you are always going to be in minority. You are always going to be in the smaller crowd. And the reason is simple. The, the attraction of the world, meaning the, 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 the fleshly appetites that exist in the world are fun. They're pleasurable. Come on. Can anybody admit that? Pastor I grew up under, uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, uh, Pastor Richard Whipple, he, he's, he's always had the statement. I never forget the statement. He always used to say, people that don't think sin is fun just haven't tried the right sin. Listen, that's, sin can be fun. Sin can be pleasurable. Now, Paul's very clear to say that it's, that it's temporal. Paul's very clear to, to spell out that it has an eternal consequence to it. But, the, but my flesh wants the, the appetites, it craves the things of the world. So whether you're talking about sexual sin or gossip or uh, greed or covetousness or whatever, my flesh wants those things. That, that's the direction it wants to go. And while the Spirit of God may dwell within me, I still dwell in my flesh. And so there are choices to be made. And somebody can say, hey, well, listen, wouldn't it just be easier if God just kind of zapped us and made us all make the right choices? Yeah, that would be a lot easier. But it wouldn't be authentic. It wouldn't be authentic relationship. And ladies and gentlemen, God has always been about authentic relationship. God has always been about you and me choosing God's way. He's always been about us desiring this relationship with God, not forcing his will upon us. So the world's way is carnal. It just, it just is. And there's choices that have to be made in that. I, I, was, I was sharing uh, the message of Jesus with a guy one time named Freddie. And he was very polite to listen to everything that I said as I walked through. I told Freddie about God's love for him. I told Freddie about our problem with sin and how that sin separates us from God because of his holiness, his righteousness. But I told Freddie that God loved us so much that he sent his only son 
to be a sacrifice for us and that if we would place our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, that we could be adopted into the family of God, forgiven of our sins and become a, uh, have the assurance of, of an eternal home. And I shared a lot of stuff with Freddie, but I, I walked through what it, what it is to become a follower of Jesus. And when I finished up, I, I said to Freddie, I said, Freddie, uh, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to become a follower of Jesus yourself today? Freddie said, yeah, there is. And I said, what is it? He said, I like getting drunk and chasing women. See, Freddie, apparently I did a good enough job at helping Freddie understand that coming to Christ means leaving your old life behind and, and, and letting him tell you the direction of your life. But Freddie liked the flesh. He liked the things of the world. He liked those things. And the pull of the flesh is powerful. So you just need to make up your mind. In this world, you, you gotta, you're going to be a minority. In school, those of you that are students, you're going to be in the minority in your school. In your workplace, almost certainly, you're going to be in the minority. In your neighborhood, you're going to be in the minority. That's just the way it is. And you just have to decide the way or the world. One or the other. By the way, Jesus told us as much. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are are many who enter through uh, it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's just the way it is. I read this article this week uh, from a blog site um, from this uh, researcher, uh, Dr. John Shook, who said... Less than 25% of Americans go to church two to three times or more each month. His research. Less than 25% go to, or basically you say, 25 only, less than 25% of Americans go to church twice a month or more. Well, is it once a month good? No. <laughs> no, that's not good enough. Not, 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 not if this is my heartbeat. Not if, this, not if my life is supposed to line up and look like when my, Paul says, follow this model, look like, do this. It's not, it's not enough. Now, when you add into that, remember, that's all churches. Go to, go to any church. So when you add into that, the number of churches, especially mainline denominations in our country today, that have slid towards liberalism in their theology and have begun to promote multiple ways to God, you're probably ending up with a very tiny percentage of Americans who are actually fully devoted followers of Jesus. And listen, that's in the country that puts in God we trust on our money. I'm just saying, Paul's saying, there's two paths. There's the way, it's a life of commitment, or there's the world, it's a life of carnality, it's a life of the flesh, and people choose those kind of things. Okay, real quickly, Paul doesn't leave it there. Let me, let me wind this chapter up. There's, there's lots of stuff to, we could talk about with that. Uh, let me just say this, Paul, in, that, in this verse, he says, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross. Can, can I just say this? Boy, it, it brings Paul no pleasure to say this. In fact, it brings him to tears when he thinks about the people that are trading the eternity that they could have and the life that they can have even now in relationship with Jesus. They are trading that for a few moments of passing pleasure in this world. It breaks his heart. And let me just say this and, and, and bring it up, and then I'll move on and wind it up as quickly as I can. Can I beg you and me to have the same attitude toward the loss that Paul has? Because sometimes it would be easy for me to say, oh, they're getting what they deserve. Yeah, yeah their, their flesh is, yeah, they're just living for the world, looking, living in that sin. Look at them, look at them people over there living at, at their sin. <laughs> Man, to be broken 
Can I, can I just remind you that we have a little something around here called the seven challenge? I don't, I'm sure I don't talk about it enough, but can I just remind you that out in the hallway is a board, and I've been asking for a couple years for people to sign their name on that board, and just by signing it, you're saying, I'm committing to the seven challenge. I'll, I'll take up this challenge. I'll pray seven times a week, and I'll pray for, for people that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I'll look for open doors that God might use me. The seven challenge. There's cards out there that explain what it is. There's a uh, Sharpie pen out there to write your name down and just say, I'm committing. I'll do this. I'll pray. Okay, you'll miss a day here and there. I miss a day here or there. But to try and consistently seven days a week pray the seven challenge, weeping over those who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, all right, here we go. Paul doesn't leave it there with just the model. He says there's, there's two models, the way, the world, but then he gives us this. There's a motivation to follow. There's a model to follow. You've got to choose which one you're going, which direction you're going. But there's a motivation to follow. I love this part because it says that this is a temporary home. Paul says this is a temporary home. This is a temporary home. Verse 20. Look at it. For our citizenship is in where? Say it really loud. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a temporary home. We are just passing through here. And how easy it is to settle in here and think of this as home when in fact it is not. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... You have a citizenship in heaven because your birth certificate was stamped at Calvary. You were born again into the family of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you have surrendered your life to him, received his eternal life in exchange. And so, however good or bad this life may be, and life is precious. I'm not saying that we should say, ah, I hate life. Life is precious and we should enjoy life and, and, and God intends for us to do that. But we have to live life with the understanding that none of this, in the end, none of this will be here. It doesn't really matter. Some of you may be familiar with the story of two brothers in the Bible. They were twins, uh, Esau and Jacob. Um, but Esau was born first by, by just a few seconds. But, but because he was born first, uh, Esau was given what was known as the birthright in, in the in the Israel, Israel's tradition, he was given the birthright, which meant that when his father died, that he kind of became the head of the family, the head of the, the clan. It's kind of like Michael Corleone and, and, uh, and Sonny, you know. But Sonny got bumped off, and, and, uh, and it went past. Anyway, um, he, the, he got the birthright. He became the head of the family, and, and, you know, he really kind of got the lion's share of the inheritance. And, I mean, he, he, he became it, Esau. And Esau was out hunting one day, and he came in, and, he, you know, the Bible describes him as, you know, a real rugged man. He's an outdoors guy. He's like a man's man. And he comes in, and he's, and he's been hunting, and apparently didn't do very well because he's starving. He's like famished. He says, oh, I'm, 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 just, I'm just so hungry. I'm starving. I need something to eat. Jacob, not coincidentally, had prepared some soup that apparently smelled fantastic because Esau comes in, and he says, give me some of that soup. And Jacob says... I'll sell it to you for your birthright. Now, that, that's stupid, right? Who would do that? Esau. Esau says, Esau says, oh, what could my birthright do me if I die? I'm going to starve to death. Give me that soup. And he sells his birthright for soup. 
Now, we, we look at that, we say, that, that is so crazy, that's insane. But I'm telling you, there are people that pull Esau's all the time. All of us, at times, have pulled an Esau. Trading the, the precious value of eternal things for some temporary thing that won't even matter in the long run. This is temporary. Peter uh, said this, 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Those are things that are going to try and pull you away. Pull, you lose your focus. They're pulling you away from the things of God. Look out for that stuff. Go on the way. Because this is temporary. Real quick, last one. This is a temporary home, and this will be a transformed home. Okay, look at this. Verse 20, again, latter part. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who will, the rest of the, goes on and says, I guess in verse 21, who will transform our, this lowly body, who will transform this body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. What did he just say? What did he just say? Yay! We're getting rid of this thing. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. How? By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. I will confess to you, all right, if you're 20-something, yay. You know, you know, uh, I'm, what I mean is, you're like, yay, new body. If you're 30-something, you're like, all right, new, new body. You pass 40, it's like, yeah, new body, new. Cindy and I uh, recently moved into a house that's a little over 25 years old, and it, it needs extensive uh, work done to it. It, it. it needs to be transformed. It needs to be transformed. And we're doing some. We're doing as much as we can. We're, we're still figuring out how much we can do and how much we can't do and where areas we think we ought to put some of our money in right now to do it. But we can't do all that we'd want to do because we don't have the resources to do it. Paul says you will be transformed because Jesus Christ has the very power that spoke the world into existence. And he has full ability to transform your body into a body that will be like his. A body that, that was in a sense material. It was physical, but it was also supernatural. And he says this this will be transformed. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There's the motivation. Got to quit. Got to be done. There's the motivation for choosing the path. Two paths. The way, the world. Well, the way, oh, eternal. The world, temporal. The way, rewards. The world, punishment for all of eternity. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this stuff up. So Paul says, let that attitude be in you. Let that, let that attitude guide you in your decision-making process. And remember that your motivation is not just that, that you're some part of some religious group. Your motivation is that, that this world is all going to be going away and you are going to a place that is new. And you're going to be transformed by the power of God. And because of that, our lives as followers of Jesus shouldn't be hard to spot. What a reminder. And as Pastor Clay said in today's message, it's a reminder that Paul refers to a lot, reminding us of the eternity that's in front of us and the transformation that's going to take place when our Lord returns. It's a great source of motivation for us. And as we heard today, if you live for Jesus in this world, you're going to be in the minority. But as Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. And whatever we may have to endure in this world for living for Jesus will fade into the distance when we reach our real home, heaven. 
We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.